You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Hey, on this episode, we continue our best of 2016 conversation with Jeremy and Mikey and myself. Feel free to let us know what you think about our picks. You can email us at extratextualshow at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to jump right in with my next pick. Kind of continuing with the same theme of cultural immersion. Yeah. The uh, the film The Fits, have you guys heard about this? No. Um, pretty small independent film, but uh, it's getting more attention. So it's basically about a young girl who, basically the whole film takes place at like a community center um, where this girl spends her time uh, working out, um, learning to box with her older brother. Um, she's like only, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11 ish, maybe somewhere in there. And so uh, her brother has like a part time job at the community, so he cleans up at the end of the night and stuff. So she just stays with him after school and stuff. And um, so she kind of like, he hangs out with the other guys that are like b- trying to be boxers, kind of. And then she decides that um, she wants to join the dance team that um, practices at the community center. So she does that. She's really quiet, um, she doesn't talk a lot in the film. Um, it's pretty naturalistic, uh, just kind of follows and observes um, her. She has a really kind of, actually not very expressive face, but like one that you know a lot is going on underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think she's also getting a lot of attention for, you know, she's not, wasn't an actress before this or anything. It's her first role, so she does a really interesting job. Um, also a very physical performance where she's boxing and dancing and she has to go from not dancing well to dancing pretty well. Um, but what happens is she joins this dance team and some of the girls, uh, like one at a time, start to have like these convulsing fits um, in the middle of practice and stuff like that. And uh, they never explain it, <laughs> like why it happens. Um, I mean, the girls, some of the girls certainly like discuss in the film like what they think might be happening and but it almost becomes with the girls like a contagious thing that they think might be going around so like at one point some of the adults think that it could be like the water in the community center or something like that but we kind of obviously know it's not that so it's it's kind of this i mean there's certainly i wouldn't say it's supernatural in any way but sometimes you know the the girl is there late at night with her brother and she goes into these big open rooms like a gymnasium or something and it's dark and the music is like foreboding but like quiet but there's nothing that ever really happens that's like spooky or anything like that but it's just kind of got that tone dark tone um so it's really interesting it could be like a metaphor some people say for like puberty or like women you know going through some of this and they do talk a little bit about the relationships with the guys you know some of the older girls are you know, yeah, talking about yeah. dating the guys. So it's got this really unique take. And, you know, she's younger and very, just, like, observing all of this and not quite in the place of these older girls. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, have you ever... Um, 
seen on the internet like a Werner Herzog reading children's books? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, really? I've heard about this. No. He's great. Because no. he, oh, he has this one. He reads Madeline oh. and talks about how um, <laughs> the, the, uh, Madeline's injury in that is like a, a metaphor for puberty. So he does commentary as well? Yeah. He, like, he, like, he, he, t- he sort of tells the, like, reads the story, tells the story, and then offers his commentary about what the meaning of it is. Nice. I mean, it's like, it was at the end of the film, you know, right. all, the, all, all the girls also want, you know, what <laughs> yeah. Madeline has. Yeah. Um, if you haven't listened to it, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um. I also like the like the film doesn't really like dwell on these fits. Like you kind of see them yeah. like start to happen, but it doesn't like follow through on like what all exactly is going on. It's more uh, like we, a, don't, we, we don't we don't go to the metachlorian level. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, we don't go to the doctors or anything that they're with. But uh, and I almost feel like the the point of view of the film is almost like through doorways, like mm. observe, like you're this kind of yeah. voyeuristic observer of what's happening. But the ending, I, I, I like, I enjoyed the film. It is kind of slow and quiet for the most part. Um, there's just like this kind of transcendent moment at the end that just like came out of nowhere for me mm. um, that really sold it. So I'm not, I'm not gonna talk more about what that is. People that have seen it know what I'm talking about for sure. It's at the very end. Um, and if you want to see it, I won't spoil it. Um, so it's not like a twist or anything like that. Just like this great moment that uh, is maybe a little bit surreal or something, but um, is really beautiful too. Uh, and doesn't doesn't try to again explain it, but maybe provide some kind of explanation um, for what's happening. So uh, I really enjoyed the fits. Yeah, you got something else, Jeremy? Oh, um, well, there's a couple things else I wanted to mention. I mean, the 13th, or 13th. Yeah, we can I mean, I, I want to yeah. just, like, linger for a minute on it. Yeah. Um, it's, I can't pronounce her name, Ava Duvernay. Duvernay, yeah. Um, what did she do before She's this? great. Um, Selma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I so, guess she's worked in documentaries, which I'm not too familiar with what she's done, yeah. but she has I, I mean, I think I, I think I watched mm-hmm. Selma, and then a few, like, days later watched 13th. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, I mean, so there's a couple things that I think of that are relevant. Um, was a, I like 13th. The thing that I like most about it is it. it's one way to view it is like this sort of like expanded tweet, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I don't remember the name of the agency, which is embarrassing, but like y- you learn about this agency that's like um, working in um, you know, all levels of the politics. Right. With all the politics. Yeah. You know, like um, offering policies and mm-hmm. there are all these members and whatnot. You know, and you and you like you see very clearly this like, utter, like this business interest that has no interest in people or rights or anything. They're just like we just we just do money. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're responsible for this tiny little thing, right? Um, and, you know, and I think that that like that's uh, any good documentary tells you good good solid research and commentary about something that you do know. Yeah mass incarceration or have encountered before mm-hmm. and give you some good information which you haven't heard at all before right which yeah, is like right. you know the ways in which like organizations that own prisons and run prisons and own things like that and run things like that um uh, are a part of policy right you and know they're making money off of it yeah which keeps it yeah you know and you yeah. know and it's like it's very clear i mean and also like about like you know like i knew about mass incarceration but i didn't know about convict mm-hmm. leasing Mm-hmm. You know, which is like, and the history is really relevant. If you don't know about conflict leasing, look mm-hmm. it up or watch the film. Yeah. But, you know, the idea that like after slavery, slavery was illegal, but there's an exception <laughs> in the 13th Amendment for prisoners. Right. Um, so like you just arrest all the black people and, and woo, you know, yeah. slaves again. And they lose the, the right to vote. 
after they've gone to prison. Yeah. Um, um, you know, yeah. and I'm, I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm a big advocate that, I mean, felons probably more than anybody else should vote, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to issues surrounding criminality because they're the ones that are involved in the system. <laughs> I do understand their arguments otherwise, but yeah. they're not here to make them, so I get to make yeah. this one. Um, and I think that there's there was a, um, another relevant tie-in. I mean, I think, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, I think 13th makes a very, very solid argument against mm-hmm. things like Citizens United, um, which sort of just allow money from various groups to be funneled into, without accounting into individuals. Um, because you have, because, I mean, in, in the pre-Citizens uh, United days, like when organizations, like one's talked about in the film, would contribute money, there would be like some record of it, because it would mm-hmm. be a political contribution, but now we don't do that, so, yeah. and it's a shame. But also, um, this year, there's a new book that came out on um, Emmett Till. Okay. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. I saw. The, I haven't read the book, but it was reviewed in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, I mean, the. I assume everyone knows the case of Emmett, Emmett Till. Do I, do I know? Somewhat. Okay, so, I mean, I, I don't know the exact year. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's like, it's in the South, and it's like um, in, in the 1950s. <laughs> um, but the case is like there's a, 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 I think it's a, I think it's in Mississippi. There's mm-hmm. like a, a man from Chicago, a black man from Chicago, who's visiting mm-hmm. his family in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes into a five and dime kind of store, um, leaves. Um, I think the, the, like the wife of the owner of the store and him had some words. Mm-hmm. A couple days later, he's like found um, in the river, and he's like, face is totally mangled and beat yeah. up and he was lynched and dragged and a whole bunch of I mean, he's just like mm-hmm. mutilated um and uh the case is important for a couple reasons um one because uh there are lots of folks that say um and this is something i don't you know i'm not qualified necessarily to talk about that say that like um emmett till's death started the civil rights the modern civil rights movement mm. and particularly the act of his mother who chose to have an open coffin mm. and show everybody yeah. what was done to her son the book that came out about emmett till this year um has um uh testimony from the the shop owner's wife mm-hmm. who says that she made up the story mm. um and it's important. I mean, because I mean, the case of Emmett Till has always is a is a really important historical event. Right, it's a really important story. I mean, and also like the fact that she made it up is is an utterly relevant fact in the age of mis- <laughs> mass incarceration, where we're like, because the, there was at least you know p- people are like, well, you know, who knows what happened? Maybe he sexually assaulted her, and maybe you know lynching's inappropriate, but you know that right. you know, like sexual assault, you know, is totally you know we agree that's bad, right? Um, but it's but, not the only case right, exactly. in American yeah, 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 history. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. But, but it turns out that um, this big case, mm-hmm. in which someone was you know brutally messed up, yeah. um, was fabricated. You know, like there was there was nothing that was wrong at all. He just happened to be black, and someone could do this to him by magically associating criminality at him, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's okay. Because I mean, there were the, the people who did it. They like they weren't brought to justice, just like the bombers, and you know, and the and the death of the four little girls. I mean, like mm-hmm. it, 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 it justice didn't happen. Um, and so I think that um, you know, thirteenth because it brings up this these issues of mass incarceration and the way in which like criminality is bandied around. Um, you know, because the criminality is really like the key element in mass incarceration that makes it all work. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we don't really we're not treating people like we don't want to treat people like cattle. Yeah. But we will if they're bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all predicated on this notion that like someone is doing something wrong somewhere, and those someones are like black people <laughs> and poor people, mostly black people, and most poor black people. Um, and so I think that there's there there was just something like 
some gestalt about the fact that, that, that Emmett Till's accuser had made it up mm-hmm. um, and that it came out this year that makes it very, very relevant. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I guess there's plenty of politics about it, but when you talk yeah. about, like, the, the movement that's associated with Black Lives Matter, um, you know, the, there's a very, very clear and relevant argument um, that, that begins, you know, that is relevant for, you know, relevant, as relevant now as it's been for 100 years about stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think 13th, um, you know, in addition to being like a very well-made film mm-hmm. that has some, you know, very well-organized, um, like I, I love her interviews. I love, they, they visually tell us stories in the background. Right. They're tasteful the way that they come in there. She makes the bad guys look like fools in their mm-hmm. own words. You know, like it's not, it's not Michael Moore style. She just is like, go ahead and talk. Tell right. me about what you do. Do it. Right, <laughs> and they're yeah. like, well, we don't, you know, this, you know, and we actually, I, what, you know, and they just bumble around and they sound like, fools because they are yeah um you know and that's just you know and i, I don't think the like they're the people that she sort of has problems with i don't think they could disagree with anything in the film i think they're fairly well represented mm-hmm. um and i think that that's you know the hallmark of a great documentary like she's not right. she's bending nothing she's just right. like look at this it's crazy and they're like well i won't you know i mm, yeah um you know and i like how she um you know, it takes some uh, we see some really bad footage of bill clinton in there which i think is great i mean mm-hmm. I'm going on and on about better. I grew up in the 90s. Um, for a period of time, I lived in Baltimore, not in a particularly rough part of Baltimore, but, like, my older brother was mugged three times, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, like, you know, like, Baltimore, Maryland, and other places around there were, like, the these the epicenters for this, for the crack war. I remember, like, debating in various history courses and political courses in high school, like, whether or not it was good that, like, you know, crack cocaine had much harder harsh consequences right. than regular cocaine and there's like people like well it's a more dangerous drug and getting i'm like the city of baltimore has since apologized for their own treatment of it <laughs> like the epicenter right. of this epidemic like has said like oh yeah we were that we were real bad about that and it was mm-hmm. totally racially motivated um and so like and i remember you know so it's somewhat it's vindication for me you know as like a 15 year old that's like this seems kind of crazy and inappropriately targeting people that are black um <laughs> Um, you know, so I, you know, yeah. I think that, um, anyway, so I, I always, and, and during that time, you know, like, you know, it, you know, Bill Clinton wasn't like law and order, like Richard Nixon, but like, right. there was definitely a lot, like three strikes and you're out, which is very highlighted in the film. I'm like, I didn't seem like a good idea at the time, but people mm-hmm. were like, it's safe and bad right. people are bad. And, you know, and I, I was very convinced about that stuff when I was a kid, um, I doubted it, but I'm like, but I don't really know. I'm just a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm like, that was just garbage. Yeah. You know, and, and to hear, you know, she this footage, this the footage in the film of like Bill Clinton campaigning mm-hmm. for Hillary. That's like, what would you want? Like people hopped up on crack, going out and killing people. You know, right. I made the world safer. Gosh darn it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I don't think so. Yeah. But thanks. Yeah, I um, think the uh, 13th is on my list too. Yeah. And I think it. I mean, I've realized, well, a few things. You know, Ava DuVernay, when I saw Selma, I was really surprised at the quality of it and um, the characterization I thought was really nice. It doesn't look like any other portrayal of that time period. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Right. And um, I think she is a great stylist as well. I mean, like you said, the 13th is really well made. I heard an interview recently with her, and they are asking about, like, her choice of where the interviews took place and things like that, and she said she wanted it to look... Um, not like uh, sort of rougher, so like a lot of the backgrounds are very cold and yeah. like brick or metal and things like that. So yeah. just like thinking, I don't think a lot of documentaries necessarily go into that thought. They just look for a nice background, you know. Yeah. That looks. Does something get in the way there? No. Yeah, right, Sweet. Yeah. 
So, uh, and I think the just the way that she, the editing is very powerful in some of those moments. Yeah. I know specifically a few times when she juxtaposes, you know, um, the way that black people were treated in the past and then with, you know, riots and things like that even. And then, uh, you know, the current <laughs> political campaign and yeah. um, Trump rallies yeah. and just like those things side by side. And I think when I first watched it, I thought of like, how can I get a, I would like to get a clip of just that to show to people like the comparison. And then soon after that, I saw it like going online, just like that section. Yeah. So I think there's power behind those kind of comparisons that she was able to put, pull together, like the actual uh, imagery and even composition of some of these shots were like so similar um, that it, it had that power um, to do it. And it was a little more subtle. Uh, and I think as you were talking about, you know, the people have asked her like, well, why, why did you include these negative things about Hillary and stuff? Like right, you know, at the end of the campaign, cause this came out this fall and she was like, well, she said this stuff. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like she said it. So like, I can't ju- you know, like I'm not making judgments on necessarily overall their whole career or like whatever, yeah, but I'm not she's telling like, you to vote for, but right. Like dipping it in the is it good for yeah. black people litmus test? It's like right, mm, no, it's not. Yeah, the so, past right now. So and like you were talking about Bill Clinton and this history, I think it's it's interesting to hear that argument and then also see how you know some people were maybe not trying to do the wrong thing, but it just becomes politicized so much that we don't we don't see the underlying um, effects of these things. Yeah, um, in a real way, and some of that, well. I don't think we can make excuses for it, but I was gonna say some of it's looking back. We can kind of understand more, but I don't. I oh, think I mean, we, I think we need e- to prevent. It's easier those... to understand looking backwards. Yeah, sure. That's I mean, it's always is, but I, I think we can't make an excuse for that for not. Well, I didn't understand the effect that this was gonna have. Um, like I think in those situations, dealing with people's mass populations of people, that we can't um, make excuses for that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's grown in my mind since I watched it. Um, just, like, stuck with me. So I think that's powerful. Yeah. And now she's making A Wrinkle in Time for Disney, <sighs> which I'm actually intrigued Disney by. is hoovering up all this talent. I yeah, mean, I know. Lin-Manuel Miranda doing Moana. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, at least they're making new stuff. Yeah. Um, just a couple more things, and then maybe we can talk about what uh, stuff we watch with our kids. Yeah. So my last kind of category here is like looking at Morgan uh, groups of people in our society, in our country that we don't normally see. And this one's a little bit different. Um, is it American Honey? Have you guys heard about this? No. Andrea Arnold's film? I heard about it. <clears throat> I have not seen it. I, I thought it might be interesting, <laughs> but then I wasn't sure how, how interested I would be, but I had heard good things about it, so I checked it out. Um, and it was... Again, it kind of stuck with me. Uh, it is almost three hours long, and it's mostly just about these like young people, late like a road trip movie. Road trip, kind of. Yeah, I mean they're mostly on the road in this big van, and basically this young girl gets swept up with this group that is traveling across the country selling newspaper subscriptions, and then they just you know kind of live whatever way they want while they do this and just kind of hustling and stuff um, along the way. Um, the main actress is a newcomer, I guess. Um, like she was really film? new to film. Um, the director f- saw her on the beach in California <laughs> and like, was like, you, you want to act? Um, which I guess a lot of the, the kids in it were not actors. 
Um, and then it has uh, Shia LaBeouf, which... Um, the director I, is relatively new. She's pretty new. Well, right? I think she's British. Um, yeah. She made uh, she's made a few things, but she made Weathering Heights a couple years ago, a version, mm. um, which I really enjoyed. And it's got... Uh, I think this Weathering Heights and American Honey have this, like, tactileness to the images. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very saturated... Um, colors and things like that but also like almost you can feel like you could reach out and like grab those things and they have um, texture to them and a heaviness sort of Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. it and stuff like that kind of a a dirty grittiness um which works in different ways between those two films the other one was a period film um but this i think american honey she also combines that sort of earthiness with these sort of moments of very much like natural beauty um, so we see, you know, they're traveling in this big van and we just see like, you know, beautiful sunlight glaring through these windows, some lens flare, some nice, Love that lens flare, beautiful. and, uh, most of it I think was shot with natural lighting and they're just wandering around these neighborhoods and things like that, selling these newspapers. But, um, for whatever you can say about Shia LaBeouf, like his personal life and how crazy he is, I think his unique personality and talents are really utilized well in this film because his character is supposed to be kind of crazy and uh supposed to be a good talker fast talker you know he's trying to sell stuff and he's he's the best salesman of this group of kids and stuff um and uh but i think he's also restrained in a few times and i mean i can't deny that like watching him on screen is sort of electrifying in a lot of things like sometimes to an annoying level but like he has a certain energy to him yeah um that comes He's across. green in holes. Holes, yeah, great. Um, but uh, he's actually pretty good. He has a nice sort of like rat tail perm thing going mm. on, which I guess is hip with the kids. Um, but yeah, it's very like, you know, they sometimes there's not a lot of talking actually that happens. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of observant of yeah. this group of people. And again, the same way that like Deepon was this unusual community or yeah, like, yeah, family that came together, this also creates a sort of family. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of these kids, you might even call them sort of like white trash. They probably came from home, kind of like these broken homes that mm-hmm. they didn't really care if they left, you know? Like with the main character, like she's not, she's only missed because. She's not taking care of her step, mm-hmm. you know, siblings that are younger, so that the actual mom doesn't have to, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it's also this sort of rapturous love story between her and Shia LaBeouf. That's that's kind of great, um, you know. There, and I think all these kids are kind of in search of the American dream, and. It's a different side of the U.S. that we don't normally see. You know, like, they're just trying to get enough money so that they can buy booze and drugs and stuff and then get to the next high and get to the next city and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it it was, again, kind of... So almost being three hours long, it was still sort of entrancing um, to see this side of life. And they go through these poor neighborhoods, they go through these richer neighborhoods, so... You see these different mm. different qualities of life and how how people judge them um, in different ways. Uh, kind of pairing with that, I wouldn't quite put Hell or High Water on my list, but I think it was quality. Um, so this is about two brothers who rob banks, and ultimate, and then um, Jeff Bridges is the you know Texas 
sheriff that is going after them, trying to track them down, and kind of similar to some characters he's played before. Um, but he does a good job at it. Yeah. And uh, slightly, you know, makes racist comments and things along the way. Um, but kind of treated like, well, he doesn't really mean it. You know, it's just like the culture. Um, but I think this is other people are saying too, kind of a slice of our country that is showing kind of the end of, uh, you know, how our economy is treating a certain element of our society and kind of lower income um, people. So basically we find out they're robbing banks to save their house, um, who's gonna be foreclosed on. So they're trying to get enough money. Um, to be able to do that. And so, you know, when Jeff Bridges is investigating in these small towns, because they just kind of hit these small town banks, um, the people are pretty reluctant to, like, even say anything, because they're like, these guys are kind of like heroes. They're like, what did that bank ever do to me? You know, do for me? Like, they haven't helped me out. Like, they didn't give me a loan. James right there. (laughs) An American story. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they eat at this little diner at one point in one of the towns, and the one brother is kind of flirting with the waitress and he gives her this like $200 tip because you know they just robbed this bank and so when they come in they're like the sheriff's like well we're gonna have to see that money confiscated and she's like no he gave it to me I don't I don't care where he's he like, got it he's like I didn't know that they robbed a bank I didn't see any of that like I don't know if these are the guys you're talking about and so like she <laughs> like and he can't do it he's like all right like I don't know um so like the mostly the people they talk to are on their side um, but yeah, so, well, I mean, yeah. I do have to say, like, some global political comment about, like, sections of our society, like, not benefiting so much recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I just, per, my personal experience a little bit is, like, as, like, I, like, yell at my radio. Like, I, yeah. I hear things and I, like, scream at it, whether it's mm-hmm. on NPR or other things, because I'm, like, I'm, like, angry at various things. One of the things I was angry at is, like, I don't know, I don't know who, like, came up with this, but, like, the jobless recovery. <laughs> I'm, like... What exactly does that actually mean? Yeah. It means that like rich people are doing fine and everybody mm. else is still screwed. Um and to and you know, and it's like and it's things like and I hate I hate language like that. I hate it because yeah. it's not true. Right. It's like one of the classic examples historically is like like people in the South talking about the South or people in the North talking about the South's peculiar institution. Right. You know, I'm like it's slavery. It's yeah. like treating other people like they're not human at all and trading them for money. Mm-hmm. Like it's bad. Yeah, you know, bad. but we can't call it that. You know, yeah. but they don't call it that. So like calling something a jobless recovery, I'm like, so like let's let's just you know, a jobless recovery means that, like, the, you know, the people that, like, make money off of owning money and investing mm-hmm. money are doing all right. Mm-hmm. And the people who used to work for money don't have a lot of jobs anymore, and they're doing poorly. Right. Like, there, there's no way in which you can – it's like a jobless recovery is not a recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and to call it that, you know, because I was like – like, they're like, this jobless recovery is going okay. I'm like – I don't. I don't think in a few years we're gonna say that. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know how it's possible that like, because I mean like I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Like mm-hmm. one of the big you know phrases that a lot of politicians would say when I was a kid is like these jobs aren't coming back. Yeah. Um. You know like you you can't work as a coal miner. You can't work as a steel worker. You know mm-hmm. I mean you can but not like in droves like they did when I was you know younger even when my father was younger. Mm-hmm. Um. Like that's the that's what the Rust Belt is. Yeah. Is like places where business used to be. Um, but now we have beautiful <coughs> resting things, which I loved growing up, but like, right. it's not a place where you can be like, yeah, like you want to get a job, you go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and much of that, like, you know, I, you know, 
my friend Mark and I talk about how like the you know, like the the whole you know, like a lot of the United States has turned into a giant rust belt. Yeah. You know, a place where there used to be jobs and aren't. Um, and I you know, and I it's it's a uh, I just you know it's 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 interesting that that's the case. Um, but uh, I was I I I was surprised that like we got like people started using jobless recovery without a whole lot of blowback initially. Mm-hmm. I'm like that sounds like bullshit to yeah. me. Yeah. <coughs> um, I just have a few other things to mention. I'm not going to go into depth in them. So these are kind of like my honorable mentions. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think we're already. We're already into it. We're, I think we're already in here to part two now. Right, right. So we're definitely in part two. Um, so one is Cemetery of Splendor. This is, um, I think, a film from Thailand. Um, this, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name, but some people call him Archie. I think his first name is Archipong. Not going to pronounce the last name, but his films are a different pace than about anything else you've seen. Very slow, long films. Um, uh, I've seen a couple of his other ones, and they are pretty fascinating. Um, Uncle Boomy, who remembers his past lives, um, is pretty good. That was his last film. Um, also, he has great titles. Uh, his other ones are Tropical Malady, um, and then uh, Syndromes and a Century is another film. But they, they sometimes skip through time. They deal with this mythology and, and spiritual elements that I am just not aware of you know just like taking me into this different world so i can't quite say highly enough about cemetery of splendor to put it on my list but it's it's worth looking at um it's really unique so there's moments where you know these sort of uh spirits or gods suddenly show up to this woman this common woman and it's just not treated as anything spectacular or anything they just look you know they're just like normal people and they just show up but they have to tell her like hey I'm the spirit. And and then one point this uh um spirit uh tells her that they're seeing like this some sort of afterlife throne world, you know, like throne room and she's like, "Let me show you around." And they're just sort of walking through this park with like trees and stuff and she's kind of explaining it, but what you're seeing is just like this park and the woman's trying. So, just like really unique things treated very normally. Mm-hmm. There's nothing flashy about it. Um but definitely you have to be prepared for sitting through a different pace. Um, but it is rewarding. Um, other films, uh, Neon Demon, I think, almost made my list. I think it's definitely worth seeing. I think I talked to you a little bit about this, Mikey. Yeah. Um, but uh, sort of said it's a horror film, the director, but I wouldn't necessarily call it your standard horror film, um, even though it's pretty gory in sections. Um Mostly a stylistic film. Some people have trying to pull deeper meaning out of it, but I think the director is mostly interested in uh, um, a visual style over narrative anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then The Witch is another one a lot of people talk about, which, again, didn't quite make my list, but I think is still worth seeing. Uh, I would say the ending makes it worth it. There's some great moments. Um, some people have hard hard time with it because it's like an old... English. It's in America, but like early America, um, kind of like the Puritans um, sort of phase, and it's the the dialogue is sometimes taken directly from old like letters and stuff from that period. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Well, I'm going to say, when I watched Sing yeah. Street, there's a there's two characters I couldn't really understand, so I had to put the closed captioning on to get through <laughs> it. Yeah, maybe I can do that with this. Yeah, yeah. I, I have heard definitely people have turned on the captions. I heard something that the the director of The Witch was a former set director. Hmm. So, like, all of the period piece work and all the, really the styles are like, spot on. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah, really well done. Yeah, you can definitely sense it, um, <laughs> the feeling of it. Uh, I was going to mention some TV things, um, but I'm just going to kind of name these off because I think some of them I mentioned in other shows. Westworld, I'd love to have somebody maybe come on or when you guys oh, see it yeah, to talk maybe. about it. Yeah. Um, spend a whole episode on that. Uh, Stranger Things, you also mentioned. Yeah. I think it's great we talked about that episode. The Night Of on HBO was really fascinating. A kind of crime drama. Um, Master of None was yeah, early in the year. Aziz, oh, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, did you see that? Like, yeah, yeah. I um, thought I, I thought it was great. I mean, yeah. like that that's like the scene, like the one about um with immigrants, like with him and his Chinese friend, yeah. um, and and both of their dads. Yeah, um, that's I mean, great. That yeah. that was a great film, and yeah. I, I have a really good friend of mine who's um she's Sikh and she like showed her dad that one because uh-huh. he does apparently does the exact same thing with like the dings and the iPad and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. and it, was, it was just like a really um you know uh, kind and. Um, honest portrayal of that. I mean, I think that was the fr- when I was like, oh, when I showed my to my wife, I was like, oh yeah, I watched this episode. Yeah, um, it was really that good. is great. Yeah. And I also like the love story. I mean, yeah, it's like borderline romantic comedy. Yeah, comedy. I do also have to say, I don't think it. I mean, I watched Louis this year. I don't uh-huh. know how old Louis is. It's still on, I think. I know. No, I mean, it's not. It's not still. I, no. I think it's all done. Oh. Um, but I mean, I watched it on Netflix. Um, it probably came out two or three years ago. Um, I thought it was great. It's, it's like, great. Yeah, it's like it's one so of the good. best TV shows I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Um, the two highlights are one, like I love the relationship with the woman that he has. Mm. There's just nothing. I've never seen anything she else. She hates him, but loves him. Yeah. I mean, like, then she makes him put on makeup in that. I mean, I was like, this is amazing. And, and there's then, like abstract avant-garde, yeah, like breakouts. Yeah. Um, I mean, and and I think also too, like. Um, the the three I think a two or three episode series in the middle when he's like auditioning for the Tonight Show with David Lynch yeah with David Lynch. <laughs> it's it's just like the I mean like like it's just like some of the best TV that yeah. there's, there's ever been it's yeah. funny it's on point it has some moral you know you know and like you know the idea that like because he explores all these elements of fatherhood you know when his ex wife is like you know the kids don't need a father they need a you know like a hero or a role model. I mean, like th- these are all yeah. like relevant themes in my own life, right. um, and I, you know, and it was it was just so well done. Yeah. And I mean, and the David Lynch character and the Jerry Seinfeld and all of that. I mean, it was just like you know, like you, you have all these you, you even if that's like all you get in the show, it's like and everything is a lead it's up to it, that, yeah. and then stuff follows that. It's just some of the best TV that and, there's and ever been. And the episodes are like twenty minutes long. Yeah. Like some of them are, some of them are just like just that. Short, they yeah, just need yeah. to be that short. So yeah. from our three part storyline, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah, on good TV. Uh, and then the other one I just want to mention was Black Mirror, which I think I would like to explore a few of those episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, since it's an anthology. when I watch them, yeah, when, when Jeremy watches them. Um, and then the other little thing that I want to mention, which is a different category we haven't talked about yet, is some uh, VR, some virtual reality. Oh, yeah, so do you uh, have VR, huh? I have the Google Cardboard oh, yeah, that I right. use with my iPhone, but there is uh, the show Black Mirror, which I can't, um, I have not seen season two yet, but season one I can't recommend highly enough. Um, 
but the for the second season as a promotion they included a little like vr experience that you can watch for free with google cardboard and uh it's it's like pretty short um it's actually kind of like a almost like a flashback like memory kind of moment mm-hmm. basically he gets like high and then you experience some of like his memories mr that. robot yeah you said black mirror oh did i yeah oh yep. oh i meant mr robot mr robot. yeah yeah yeah. Have you watched season one? Uh, I did watch season one. Yeah. Um, I started, I think I got to episode two or three of season, season two. Season two? Oh, okay. Um, and it's okay so far. <laughs> season I mean, two I've, or the whole show? Season two. Oh, okay. I haven't gotten far enough into season two to, to make a judgment call. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, season one is great. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, the VR experience isn't like anything that like you have to see to like get the other part of the show but it like adds to it um but it did some unique things you know like he so he gets high kind of at the beginning and the camera kind of like floats to the ceiling over top of him and is kind of like and you can like look all around the room and stuff like that 360 degrees but like you're kind of looking at that and then um at one point he's with his like girlfriend at the time when they're first getting to know each other and part of the show takes place at this old like um amusement park like yeah. abandoned and so like they're on this date and they're up in the like uh ferris wheel and so it's like the cart that kind of like rock back and forth so you're like in there with them and like it's like the cart rocking and you're like looking around down you can like look all over and they're sort of like looking at each other awkwardly and you're like between them so you have to like look back and <laughs> forth between them that's cool um and then it kind of finishes and they're like laying on the bed together um, in his apartment, and uh, you're like looking down at them on the bed, but then like so, but then when you like look around, you, everything's like upside down. So like you look down sort of at your feet, but you're like looking out at the room oh, like their yeah, feet, yeah. but it's like upside down then. So mm-hmm. it's just like really they did like really simple things, um, but just gave you this different perspective. Yeah. So um, I was really impressed by that. Yeah, and it was really like touching too yeah. like i was almost like in tears by the end of that. if you know what happens in the show also um it's sort of a touching uh touching moment as well um so the show in general is is good i think it went a little bit over the top with like the visual aspects mm-hmm. um and it gets some of the some of those tones get a little bit drawn out yeah and with even with the second season um Remy Merrick's mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. the main character. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. Um, they they keep going on him on the he's paranoid, he is mm. schizophrenic, mm-hmm. or he is losing it. Yeah, like a little bit too far. Okay. That work it's kind of boring to me. Okay. Like move on. Let's yeah. explore some more of this world because it's right. such a bizarre world. Right. At the time, like in the story, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, apparently overall, well done. Yeah, yeah, and he's especially great. Especially for for a USA show, right? Like I think that makes, that was like the show they're trying to reinvent yeah, themselves with, right? Um, and you can tell. Yeah, I'm really impressed by that. Um, should we talk a little bit of kids stuff? Um, sure. There's Briefly. one more one yeah. more thing I wanted oh, yeah. to mention. Um, I wanted to mention. Um, I, it came out like late 2015, but mm-hmm. I experienced it in 2016, which yeah. was um, Sandman Overture, okay. which is like you know the, there's the Sandman graphic novel series. I right. Read it. I've read some of it. It's cool. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I, I read it late. I didn't read it like in when it came out or whatever. I read it in trade paperback, which is, you know. But Mm -hmm. I loved it. I 
Uh, I really loved it. Um, and I heard that he was making it, you know, making a new one. I was like, oh, great. You know, I bought a subscription to it. I think he started publishing in like 2012 or 2013. Right. And I got like one the first year I lived somewhere. And uh-huh. I was like, and I, I called the comic book place. I was like, is, you know, like I got a subscription. They're like, yeah, the other one hasn't come in yet. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I just, I'll get it when it's all done. And it right. was all finished in 2015. So I read it. It was good. I mean, it's worth. I, I I really enjoyed it. It's a different story. It sort of it takes place. It ends right when the Sandman story takes place, and he's trapped in the circle, and mm-hmm. it sort of explains why he ends up there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It was really well done. It was really fun. Um, uh, you know, visually, is probably the most interesting mm-hmm. of all of the Sandmen. Is okay. it the Neil Neil Gaiman Sandman? Yeah, yeah, yeah same like, guy. That's right. the Sandman. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It's not. The, I mean, there's several other. Sandmen that exist, but this okay. is Neil Gaiman's like character, Morpheus, the yeah. Lord of Dreams and Stories. Um, dream, as he is known in there. Um, uh, but I wanted to mention it for a couple reasons. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, be- I think because like there were so many people that liked the Sandman, like so many artists that liked the original Sandman mm-hmm. run, that like you know for each. Um, sort of scene he gets to he like picked a, a you know a different artist or a different style yeah. so there's it's just chock full of all different these different you know artists and styles huh. um, which is really you know and some of the original Sandman was like that but there's there, there were sort of like longer runs of it so it's just like yeah. you know I mean it's, it's a single trade paperback and it's chock full of you know like super dense interesting images mm-hmm. you know um, and I feel like that um, I don't know I, I, I've always really liked it I, and like you know like there's a you know, a dream has different manifestations in different universes, so we mm-hmm. get to see all that. So there's a little bit of like Doctor Who esque fandom, which I think Doctor Who always takes a little too far. It's like he's the Doctor, yeah. you know. But in this, it's like he's you know he's he he's always his eccentric little Robert Smith self, <laughs> um, you know, Morpheus. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, and I also mentioned because like well, I, I mean this one film that I'm working on, which. The working title is The Land Without Song is like this Orpheus story. Um, and, I, and I realized that going back and reading The Sandman in preparation for reading Sandman Overture, that a lot of my like views of stuff in the underworld that I'm creating for my film comes from Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, a character in, in the, this film that I'm working on that is like, like clearly roughly based on Sandman. He's not yeah. like an active character in the story. Um, but a lot of the, like the, Especially like the, 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 the episode of Sandman where like um, uh, he, he goes to hell because mm-hmm. hell is actually a part of Dream mm-hmm. um, and like the devil's kind of like, I'm not doing the job anymore. <laughs> and Morpheus is like, you have to. <laughs> You're contractually obligated to do it and let me convince you why it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the way in which that like um, there's a whole lot of morally ambiguous world out there in mm-hmm. the supernatural it's not good it's not bad because you know dream himself it has you know he has cares of nightmares yeah um which sometimes do good sometimes do bad you know there's the corinthian who eats people's eyes with his little teeth eyes um uh you know and it's and so i and that the uh and the way in which uh morpheus dies the first time mm-hmm. um you know is because do you know the story Somewhat. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the Furies that kill him. I mean, it was justice that kills mm-hmm. him because he kills his own son, Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of has to because his son begs him because he was made immortal and he was only in head and it was a really crappy way to live. <laughs> so it was actually a mercy. But the Furies, these unforgiving, you know, you know, tripartite female manifestation of justice 
has to chase him down and kill Fiddler's Green and everybody important on the way to get there. But not complicated at all. Not complicated at all. Um, but I, I mean, I do like the idea that um, you know he does this merciful act in, in sort of ending his son's life, which ends up costing his own life. Um, and it's absolutely the right thing to do, but mm-hmm. it does violate this you know this ancient prohibition for fathers to kill yeah. their sons. Um, that's Sandman. Um, I think there's two Neil Gaiman TV shows coming out this year. 2017. I didn't know not, anything about them. Not, uh, not Sandman, but American Gods, I think, is one. Oh, yeah. Which should be interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's stuff with uh, one bit about kids, and then I, we, there's some streaming that we have to talk about. Okay. So, kids, I mean, just briefly, um, I know for me, I, just thinking of, like, the best things I saw for family or kids this year, um, Zootopia, yeah. I think, is pretty Z- good. Zootopia was number was- one on Rotten Tomatoes' list. It was, like, no, like a 99%. <laughs> you can Google it if you yeah. want. Um, I haven't seen it. I own it. Everyone in my family has seen it. It's like, I haven't seen Frozen either. Everyone has seen Frozen but me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really opposed to it. Good. I'm yeah. just, like, always doing Frozen. something <laughs> else when they're doing it. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, pretty bold for Disney. Have you seen Zootopia? No, no. Like, uh, my deals, kids have seen it. I have not. Yeah, deals with like race relations, pretty like boldly, kind of, and this creating this different world of animals and things like that, uh-huh. um, which I think was was pretty brave of Disney to do. Um, they used to do nothing but bold things in the beginning. Yeah, that's true. Not always in a good way, right? No, no. Anyway. But I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, I mean. My view of Walt Disney in the beginning was he was you know had some trouble yeah um, but was really committed especially with like the, if you look at the early charter for Fantasia like committed mm-hmm. to like people making continually making interesting visual yeah art in this medium um, yeah. and they did that at the beginning certainly I mean but then there's a whole sort of like we're just going to cash in on things right. period right. which they're kind of coming out of I mean I think yeah. and certainly like I like Pixar Disney films better than I like Disney Pixar right. films. Um, but it's shifting a little bit. Yeah. Disney's doing some good stuff. And there, I, I didn't get to see it in the theaters, Utopia, but there was just like chock full of like this world and like things happening all over. And when they're in the city, I would have liked to, uh, I've only seen it once, so I'm looking forward to going back and kind of seeing all the corners of the world they portray. Little funny visual jokes happening, yeah. things like that. Um, did you want to mention one? Oh, yeah. I mean, Kung Fu Panda 3. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, There's a couple like big movies in our lives that we love Kung Fu Panda is one of them it's pretty great um, yeah I mean we I love it my kids love it my yeah. wife loves it we love it we watch it we come back we watch it again and we don't watch it for a couple months we watch it again it's one of the ones yeah, that yeah. we own on DVD so we can play it whenever we want mm-hmm. um, and then like we were like ooh Kung Fu Panda 3 um, and it came out and we watched it and my son's like oh like what is going on here and I'm like <laughs> okay so there's a really complicated plot that involves <laughs> This uh, peacock, and then, uh, you know, and... The second one? Yeah. Yeah. I know for a while my son was like, I don't want to watch the one with the scary peacock. I was like, yeah. why? Gary Oldman voice? What they're yeah. scared of? He's and so, you know, scared. and it's just... Uh, bad. Yeah. You know, it's like, it could have been something... But yeah. no. I mean, and like, Kung Fu Panda starts off with that, like, cut, like, the, the stylistic scene when he's like, there's right. no, you know, no so charge good. for awesomeness so yeah. or attractiveness. Uses the word bodacity, you know, like <laughs> this is fabulous, right? Yeah. Um, two, not so much, but three, solid, solid comeback. It is not. It has some like odd elements, like Poe meets his dad, and we're not entirely sure why he shows up at 
his noodle stand. Right. Um, and there is a little bit of like he does at one point uh, like kill himself and enter the spirit realm to fight this guy, <laughs> um, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little bit like what exactly just anyways yeah, yeah anyway but um it was good yeah um it doesn't have the like overarching like ancient kung fu message of the uh, you mm-hmm. know the original one of the mm-hmm. like that there's no special ingredient in the special ingredient soup <laughs> right. which is like time like like the kind of thing that i'm ha- like i'm happy to s- have my kids watch and talk about because i think it has some deep perennial meaning mm-hmm. um it's also you know really fun the really way funny. they fight together you know yeah. and in how he progresses from playing with action figures of people to being part of that team which mm-hmm. i think you know it's a journey from like you know cynic fandom to being participating and creating good i think all that stuff is great yeah and the third one gets more back to that um there are some like creepy jade zombies which they refer to as zombies in the film mm, I didn't catch that yeah. I mean that term yeah yeah and they talk about it too um that kind of falls flat but uh there's a lot that's good about it mm-hmm. um yeah cause my kids watch it like it's really good I'm like really the second one was not so bad not so good <laughs> and we watched it together and it worked out pretty well yeah um I mean since it's the best of 2016 I know we already talked about it but I have to mention the new Voltron again um yeah, uh, it's great. I'm not, I'm not I'm like too half, far into season. two. Well, I'm almost through season two. Okay. It just keeps getting better. It's good. There is a little like I mean, I have to mention also now that I just learned uh, in I googled some stuff about like the new Voltron. Is Voltron season one the new Voltron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like yeah, two full seasons of new Voltron. Yeah, two it's already se- out. Yeah, yeah, two full seasons of Voltron Legendary Defender. Two just came out. Yeah, Sorry. two just came out. Um. Uh, I was doing some research on it for stuff, or looking at stuff, um, and uh, I come I came across like a lot of like feminist analysis of the show because there's Pidge who um, passes as a man, right, and then as a woman. Season, yeah. There's actually a really interesting scene where they're like this strange alien mall in the second season, and like Pidge is standing out front of like, do I go to the? Well, they can't figure out which bathroom to use uh. because she also because she doesn't know like. What the symbols for gender mean? <laughs> right. Um, but it's an interesting. Like, like, what does it mean? Like, the character who's playing her, a girl named Bex, is like this very androgynous lesbian. Um, you know, and I think that like there's a there's a it's a really uh, it's like certainly a lot more meaningful for me than it is to Ethan. It's a kind of funny joke about going to the bathroom, but it's also right. like here's a person that like is at the intersection of gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really you know like it's the show it is it's interesting that it's in the show and that it's like there yeah. as for people because like you know like I remember like as a teenager watching stuff when I was a kid some of the stuff was like ugh you know really like um, but this has interesting stuff in it too um, there is like that because anyway I was reading about Princess Alora has interesting at some point she's like awesome at some point she's like having her hair done by the mice mm. um, but, yeah, I, I, but this yeah. this is what I encountered I encountered this thing called the Mary Sue mm-hmm. I've never heard of this before really Never once. It's embarrassing. Like, as, like, a modern feminist who games and watches <laughs> right. movies How and has seen all of Star Trek, I have never heard the term before. Possibly because, like, I, I do like Star Wars fan fiction because I know it's, like, the birthplace of much of modern geek culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did not even know it existed. Um, if you don't know about the Mary Sue, Google it. It comes from this um, uh, piece of sh- short fan fiction um, which I'm probably not going to represent very well, um, uh, about Star Trek in which there's this girl named Mary Sue who, like, is not very good at anything, and then she becomes awesome at stuff and, like, pilots a starship and wins a Nobel Peace Prize, and she dies, and, like, there are, whole, like, four suitors that, like, um, are, like, weeping over her body. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, it's this counterpoint to, like, the strong female protagonist in that, like, 
um, the argument, which I read on a website called The Mary Sue, um, was that, you know, like, uh, it's, 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 it's one thing, like, having a woman be, like, supernatural and so much better than the men mm-hmm. um, is essentially kind of the same as being below them because it's they not... They need to be supernatural in order to be better. Or, or they're, they're never on the same team. They're yeah. never on par. They're never right. equal. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and I was like, oh, like, that sort of explains that, like, that sort of, like, chaste, you know, like, the idea of, like, the... Um, chaste female warrior with an you know you know supernatural power mm-hmm. like they they're not not the kind of person you can hang out with have a beer and have sex with right. or talk about things they're like they're just they have this you know weird powerful chasteness that sort of separates them from humanity right. and i was like oh like it, it, it for me i was really thankful for the mary sue as a, as an idea <laughs> and people that wrote about it um because it allowed me to like explain that uneasiness i have in talking about Strong female protagonist. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's good. Is it? Yeah, I think some people criticized uh, Ray and The Force Awakens because she's yeah. kind of just like pretty perfect. Like, yeah. I mean, she like picks up a lightsaber and she beats Kylo Ren yeah. and like you know she just she's a great pilot. She just kind of does everything right. Yeah. I mean, she kind of struggles, but like still does it. Yeah. You know? So, um, but yeah, that's interesting. And so I mean, I, I learned. I learned a lot about stuff right there. <laughs> um, kid I was, stuff. I was yeah. going to mention um, Pete's Dragon. I really enjoyed it. I don't think I mentioned it on the show. Uh, pretty old school feel to it. Um, David Lowry made that. Uh, and I think he has made another film um, coming out this year um, that's playing at festivals. But uh, like you said there, Disney is grabbing up these kind of interesting more independent filmmakers yeah um and doing good things but i i really enjoyed it uh there's nothing too surprising about it just kind of a well-told story um i haven't seen it. does it still take place in passamaquoddy or does it take place in a new town oh maybe all right i don't remember the name of the town seems like big they part of my childhood seems like they would have kept it around um but yeah, beautiful scenery. Uh, the dragons ha- handled really well. Okay. Um, uh, Is he full on cartoon? No. Well, I mean, he's CGI. He looks realistic, though. Okay. Yeah. He's not the old style animation. Bed knobs and broomsticks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just like a nice, straightforward, classic mm-hmm. kind of family film. Yeah. Um, I was also really surprised by The Jungle Book. Got to see that in the theater the last year with my son, and I think we both were surprised how good it is. Um, again, not, I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorite films of the year, but was surprised how good it is. Like it had moments seeing it in the theater. Like there's a point where they all kind of meet at like the watering hole, all these different animals, and it was like tense and like cool to see. Like it was realistic enough to kind of see these animals interacting, like on the big screen and stuff. Um, like had these kind of thrilling moments that I liked. So uh, that film did pretty well. I think critics mm-hmm. generally liked it. Um, but I think it's directed by John Favreau. John Favreau yeah. yeah. So you, uh, you know, the Jungle Book is like a semi-racist portrayal of like India, right? where Shere Khan <laughs> represents the Muslims and Baloo represents yeah. the Indians, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and I say semi-racist in the way that I mean. Bill racist. Murray as Baloo. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's funny. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean no, I like, know. Yeah. 
I mean, I just like you know, as 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 someone who studied that part of the world, it's a really weird thing to say. Yeah. Um, it's like I, I'm like, yeah, but it's like kind of like doing blackface. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I said, woo, yeah, it's like cool, funny, interesting, Roger right. Kipling. Um, but I'm always like, yeah, not the yeah, That's right. He's got he got a lot of other interesting stuff. Yeah. That you know deals more directly with um, relevant issues, but mm-hmm. it's just it, you know I'm always like because Disney also has a history of like racist stuff right um then i'm like yeah this one i mean i know like i loved it as a kid um mm-hmm. and, and the story right. can be like divorced from its sort of like allegorical meaning Source, yeah. but i'm like yeah, do we need to right um could we also have like maybe a critical story that's interesting about sort of like muslims and or colonialism <laughs> right. how about an interesting story about colonialism that's like explores what that's yeah. like i think this new version kind of Sidelines a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. and that, I mean, that, that's why as a kid, like, yeah. that's what's interesting, you know. Right. Um, it's like you know, Robin Hood can't actually be about like um, the issues that it's about. It's about right. cool, fun, and adventure, swashbuckling. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about streaming? Yes. What you've been? Yeah, I've just been, been streaming, super yeah. excited about talking about this because what I've been streaming <laughs> is Michael Bolton's very <laughs> sexy Valentine's Day special. It, I, I think it came out like a couple of days before Valentine's Day this year in 2017, so it's yeah. not 2016, but it's been what I'm doing lately. Um, I I have like a personal crusade to like tell the world how awesome <laughs> Michael Bolton is, and I'm not at all joking. I mean, it, it started for me like I was like coming home from rugby practice um, probably like three years ago, and I was listening to my favorite show on the radio, a, a show called Q. It's a CBC Radio 1 show. Okay. Um, the host at the time and creator of the show is a man named Gian Gomeshi. I don't know what ethnicity that is, but uh, he is a phenomenal interviewer. Mm-hmm. I think at he, he, during his heyday, he was better than Terry Gross. Um, he certainly got a lot more and had a lot more sensitive understanding of artists and um, people that were involved in the creation of art, the supporting mm-hmm. of art. You know, maybe Terry Gross had like a better hold on political figures, you know, right. and like giving them, asking them hard questions about that. But I think Gian Gomeshi had... Um, you know, like, if I wanted to talk about art, like, he's the one person that I wanted to talk about it. And he <laughs> interviewed Michael Bolton, like, a 35-minute interview. You can find it online. You just search for Q. It's just the letter Q, mm-hmm. Michael Bolton interview. You can get it. It's free from CBC Radio. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, like, I had – and it, the interview was done shortly after he did, like, the Captain Jack – or the Jack Sparrow um, uh, video song with Lonely Island. Have you guys seen this? I oh! Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's great. Um, it's and it's it, it, it's a it's a kind of it's a new. I don't know. I mean, I like calling things new, but it, it's parody, but it's not entirely parody hmm. because it's really enjoyable to listen to Michael Bolton sing because he has an amazing <laughs> voice, and I love Pirates of the Caribbean, um, and I love a lot of the films he talks about because um, he sort of plays like a Michael Bolton character that's like obsessed with films, mm-hmm. um, but like very popular films. Um, and so he's singing like it's like the Lonely Island is like rapping about going to a bar and being fleas yeah. bags, and then Michael Bolton's like, "I got this hot lick, I'm gonna," and he's like just sings this ballad about Captain Jack Sparrow, <laughs> and he's got like a mustache and he's on an island, you know. And it's, I mean, like, anyway. So, if you, so I listened to the interview about Michael Bolton, and you know, mm-hmm. like all of the things that I um, had thought about him, you know, like I grew up listening to his stuff on the radio because this was like mm-hmm. was it was on in the morning before before I go to school, you know, like adult contemporary. And I remember thinking like that that guy knows how to sing, like <laughs> that is like that guy, you know, like that guy has soul. You know, as I grew up, you know, like I, you know, but I also like 
I just had this love for like him and like Rod Stewart and Elton John. Like the like this is like it was like in the water where I grew up. Like yeah. you know, you you made like other stuff, but like that's what that's what music was. <laughs> um, but you know, like and I saw Office Space in which they make fun of him relentlessly, and he had the hair, and like it was totally it was like you know like it was totally not cool to like Michael Bolton at all because you know he yeah, just right. he just did this you know he just you know he was like a whatever. Like, but he was uh, still around. <clears throat> and he was, he was I mean he has around. had so many albums. Yeah. And he was making a lot of music, making a lot of music before he was even famous for making that music. <laughs> so I hear the interview, and like from the minute he starts talking, he's like obviously a very intelligent, very skilled, very dedicated artist who has like spent his whole life wanting to do what he's doing. And I mean, and it's it's, it's not what I expected him to be. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. It's embarrassing if you ever listen to this, but um, and it's like you know over the course of the conversation. Uh, you know, you just get the impression that like he's making the art he wants to make, mm-hmm. and he tells this story about how like I think it was like his third or fourth or like his second big album comes out, and he gets he gets a call from the you know a critic at the New York Times, and he's like Michael, you know, he's a friend of his, like mm-hmm. this is the best album you have ever made, yeah, and he's like thanks, he's like and and and, and you your your singing and your musicality and your songwriting is is as best as it's ever been, mm-hmm. he's like why oh, thank you, and he's like. They're gonna crucify you, <laughs> like they. You are going to become in a few moments the artist that everyone will make fun of. Um, and and Michael just continued doing what he was doing because that's <laughs> that's what he that's what he was, you yeah. know. And like and there's just like and he talks a lot about it at the beginning when he was like making music for like twenty years before anybody even noticed it, mm. and even when they did like. He was like successful a little bit, you know, because it was in like, the early days of rock, or the early days of, or the late days of AOR, you know, and so like, you know, he was still kind of fitting into the rock genre before he became sort of doll contemporary or soul or R&B or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he went from nobody to a little bit of success to like the butt of everybody's jokes, um, and he, he like he he admits that he like took himself a little too seriously, <laughs> but he says it's like, but I spent like. I was like bouncing rent checks for like 20 years. Like that right. that's most of my life. That never goes away from you. So like I wasn't anyway. Um and and I and it just had this image of like you know, maybe maybe I don't like his, you know, his music as much as some other people, but like there's no doubt that he is a skilled singer mm-hmm. and has devoted his life to the thing that he loves most. And then there's just this experience that like when, when I've sat down to like write songs and like or like cover somebody else's song and like I want to sound like somebody else, but I sound like me. So, like, if I ever, like, became right. a musician, like, I would just be me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, he, he opens up his mouth and sings stuff, and that's what comes that's out. That's like I'm me from the, from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And, and, like, I just, I, there's, I, I like, that, I yeah. absolutely respected it. Yeah. Um, and there was, and so I, um, and he also, like, and he talked about the hair. And I thought, I mean, like, because his hair gets made fun of so much. Mm-hmm. Um, he has short hair in the Halloween or the, the Valentine's Day special, by right. the way, in case it matters to you. <laughs> but he does at some point come and turn into Boltron. Um, and it, he does get the hair back again. I mean, it is over the top. Like, it is it is a fabulous on a level that I, I can't even really describe in words. Um, there's, like, there's like crossfades, like, every, like, five minutes of, like, hearts popping up. He's, like, riding with horses and there are eagles. I mean, it is, like, the ShamWow wow. on crack. And yeah. it's fabulous. Um, we talked about the hair. He's, like, when he was growing up, like, he grew up in the, you know, during the British invasion, you know, like, he wore his long hair because the Beatles had long hair. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he wore he wore his long hair because he was like a long haired hippie, and he was like too stoned <laughs> to get to Woodstock. And I was like, Michael Bolton. Right. You know, like that is not That's who not I thought it was. And like yeah, and, and yeah. the music that you know he grew up listening to and loving rock and roll. And, and made music that was really similar to that, but you know, not what other people were doing. I don't know. I just, I, I like, it was one of the best interviews of any artist I've ever heard. Because hmm. um, it utterly changed, I mean, it made me appreciate and understand someone in a very short period of time. And I was, and I was like, I, I just, you're awesome. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, like, I, you know, because I, because there's also just like so much integrity. It's like, right. You're doing what you're doing, right? You know, and you're like nobody likes it, or some people don't like it. Um, <laughs> you keep doing you do it, yeah. but and, and to say nobody likes it is just a, a silly, silly thing. Like millions and millions of people love his work, and it's undeniable that, like, when you hear his voice, like, it's an emotive thing. Like that, mm-hmm. nobody else sounds like that. Yeah. And like when you know when he sings some of the classics, like when a man loves a woman, or what am I supposed to do without you? Like, they get parodied because there's it's such a singular kind of emotion. Like, mm-hmm. no other thing that we know of expresses that quite clearly. As right. Well. Anyway, so, but I also wanted to say about him, too, was, um, and I think that, like, Michael Bolton's Very Sexy Valentine's Day special um, it is, is a, I mean, it's, it's a big deal for me in that, like, I don't know any other artist that has, like, been able to successfully transcend, like, complete seriousness and complete parody or like two completely different generations like michael bolton has right i mean like because he's like then to say that he's not just parodying himself it's 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 a different kind of thing i think because he he's making fun of himself but he's also like singing really catchy music like he's making he's making good music and and so that i i was just like he's in on the joke yeah um and like i you know i i couldn't um I just couldn't get enough of it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I like I, I know like again like you're listening to the Jack Sparrow thing like it's funny but it's also catchy like it you know it's also you know it also has some really solid musicality to it um, you know and, and just to hear him in the interview talk about like you know singing with singing with all these sort of famous people and like doing all this you know really awesome work it's just awesome um, I also wanted to say too I think there's just thinking about it, like I think there's like some inherent feminism or like some inherent like sexism in like the dislike of Michael Bolton because in his early career like the people that were listening to his music were primarily women like mm-hmm. his audience like his mm-hmm. first big audience was like a lot of women they're like oh my right. god this guy is amazing and and like why don't they count it's like <laughs> oh well they're not real critics or they're not real yeah, people you know, like it's just true. like a bunch of like women's music or like women's stuff and I'm right. like Really, like, I'm pretty certain that, like, if, that, if a yeah. whole bunch of people think it's really awesome, you know, it's awesome regardless of their gender. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, in the late 80s, like, it was not really a big cultural milieu that you could talk about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I can, I think you can certainly talk about it now, and I just will, you know. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, like. You know, because and that's how I was portrayed. It's like, well, you know, like all the women like his hair and whatever, mm-hmm. and and his singing and his like sensuality and his like emotions and stuff. You know, back in the days when it's the same thing guys like like about Kiss and like about yeah you know, yeah yeah yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Um, I you know, um, but it's also part of like the large. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like the the larger masculine narrative. Like, we don't need like feelings and stuff. Like, dudes are fine, right? Um, which is just a prison that locks the, those of us who are sensitive, which is all of us, um, and it has it makes it makes our lives a lot harder. Yeah, stuck in that little box. But I just like to thank Michael Bolton That's for your, making that. Uh, I mean, I mean, Jeremy's defense of Michael Bolton. Yeah, and because I, I also think too that like I, I can put it in the category of like. Um, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog 
that are like these sort of independent, um, not connected to much else things that are of heft. Like, I mean, it, it's an hour long and a rip-roaring journey from beginning to end. Um, and, it, and, you know, and it, like it's... Um, I don't know, I thought it was like a, a really interesting and unique choice of a, of a way to parody him. Hmm. You know, I mean, because, I mean, I, 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 the, the premise of it uh, at the beginning is that, like, February is 10 months from Christmas, and Santa comes to Michael Bolton and says that he's made 75,000 <laughs> kids' worth of too many toys, so he needs to um, have Michael Bolton have, a, a te- like, a, a, a telethon to, to cause 75,000 babies to be conceived. Um, yeah, yeah before, you know, so like he, he's, so he's like, you know, doing these, he, he takes, he has like, it's like a sexy evening thing where he's like trying to commit and they're tracking it about how many babies are being conceived. Um, you know, and it, there's just like a, some really clever writing and setup. I mean, there's a couple like guests that come on that are like a little mm-hmm. bit of a, you know, not as strong as the others, but it yeah. moves so quickly that like you can right. you move on to the thing. I feel like the fun thing about in the age of Netflix yeah. original series is like, I feel like that just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And, like, we didn't know about it. Just, mm-hmm. like, these days, like, things just show well, no. up on there. And they're like, what? I don't know where this, where did this come from? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I could go on and on. But I would say, like, I remember, like, the first time I watched a show on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And there were, like, ads customized to me in there. Right. And I was like, this is the future. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this was, because I remember, like, this is the time when, like, uh, Hulu was all free. Mm-hmm. There was no pay, nobody was paying for, right, paid and, like, like, Netflix existed, but this is before the Netflix Flickster thing mm-hmm. happened. Right. Um, you know, it was like, there was some online streaming, Not but, like, yet. you know, you know it, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't like today. Right. I don't know why that's Australian. <laughs> um, uh, you know, but, like, because if you think about this kind of thing, like, where's the distribution market for it before? Mm-hmm. Like, how do people get it? Is yeah. it, you know, because, like, it's crass enough that you you can't show it on regular on television network, yeah. and you know and like i don't you know is it going to be picked up on comedy central which right. automatically pigeonholes it as a particular genre like mm-hmm. some of the fun of some of some of the fun of michael bolton's very sexy uh, valentine's day special is like i don't know like i see the picture of it i don't know what it is right I didn't you know, know like it, yeah. i'm like you know like because it could literally be anything because it's just a show on netflix um and i think that that makes it that makes part of it more fun for me. It just stuff sort of pops up. It's like, I've got a subscription to cool stuff that's coming out in video, you know. I think this will make you feel better when it popped up on Netflix when I saw it. Like, they were advertising it, and I was, like, reading it, and I was like, Michael Bolton. Huh. You know, who's Michael Bolton? <laughs> like, my... And I was like, oh, later I was like, oh, the musician. Oh, okay. I was like, Kenny was... G or Michael Bolton? <laughs> I was like, like a, a Kenny... I didn't even connect it to like a singer. I was like, like Kenny G shows up both in parody, Does he really? in parody and in reality, in, reality. in, in the show. Yeah. Nice. He, yeah. Um, cool. I think that's with, since Valentine's day just got over, that's a good place yeah. to kind of end things here. Um, I do want to mention before we finish that our theme music is done by analog Rex. Uh, aka Jonathan Daniels, um, friend of the show. So uh, I've been putting it in the show notes, but I want to mention that on the show and thank him for letting us use his music. Um, adds to the show. Great. Thanks for listening to uh, this two-parter episode and uh, letting listening to us ramble a lot about stuff we liked in 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks.